My name is Ashley. My name is James. He's in recovery for drug addiction, and I'm navigating my own recovery in relation to that. Now that I started my blog to share my story, I think it's time for us to both share to continue helping others and shedding some light on the world of addiction. This is Speak Up Together. Do you think that was too wordy? Yeah, but you're always too wordy, so that's just kind of how you are. (laughs) Hey everyone, I am here with my husband, James, because I thought it would be a really good idea to kind of have like both of our inputs on everything and our collective experiences, kind of get a little bit more of a background on, you know, where he comes from and, you know, the, the kind of conditions that brought him to where he is today and how we both relate to those experiences because I feel like there's a lot of preconceived notions on, you know, what it is to be addicted to something, the kind of childhood that you might have had and kind of different things like that. And, uh, so yeah, the, the podcast up to this point has been my experiences in relating to that, but like I said, I feel like this would be a lot better to get his two to kind of see how those relate. So, hello. Hi, I'm James. Um, I'm an addict. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I guess I'll just start uh, with my childhood. I grew up in Palmdale, California. Um, I was always very, very tall kid. When I was in second grade, and I was taller than all the fourth graders. Um, I guess you'd say I grew up in um, maybe like lower middle class. Um, I mean, we didn't get everything we wanted. Like, we didn't get like a large pool or a big house, but I feel like we had all of our all of our needs met. Um, I was homeschooled all the way till eighth grade or seventh grade. Um, my mom uh, did all of my schooling that way. Uh, I was very into science and math, not, not necessarily math, but just science and magnetism and a lot of that entailed math. But yeah, those were my interests. I was always taking stuff apart, working on things. Um, it was in... Yeah, in junior high that I went to my first school that was a private school. Um, I was scared to go to school because I thought I was going to be dumber than everybody there uh, because I'd never been to school before. And um, I actually ended up being valedictorian and I had the, the highest grade in the whole school. Which, I mean, it wasn't a big school, but uh, that was kind of cool. Um, my two years, it was either two or one, I can't remember, of junior high was harder than all four years of high school. Um, it was public high school, so private junior high, more smarts there than there was <laughs> in four years of, of public high school. Um, transitioning from homeschool to private school and then to public school with 4,000 students, so it's a huge difference. Um, public school, I um, got into the hobby of selling candy and I'm talking about like sugar candy, like Skittles, Snickers, um, well, yeah, Monsters, like, energy drinks. They had taken out like all the vending machines, all the cool stuff, right? Because that's what they did at my high school. Yeah, so this so. was like this was like 2006, uh, 2006, 2007, and that was when Arnold Schwarzenegger became the governor. <laughs> and um, yeah, so they, I remember they would have posters up on the wall that would say. Um, 
No more fries. Thank your governor. I thought that was so funny. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so not that it's relevant, but uh, so 14, I started high school. And at this point, I was 6'5", so I was really tall um, in high school. I was like the second tallest person in the school of 4,000 students. There was one guy, he was, he was always taller than me. I think he was like 6'10". He was really tall. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I would, I mean, I, I, my first year of high school, I was really like nerdy and I didn't understand the dynamics of school so in my mind it was like my relationship was with the teachers my relationship with the students didn't really matter my relationship there was with the teachers and they were going to be my friends and who I uh, aspired to be liked by um, and I learned in my freshman year that that doesn't really get you anywhere in high school um, so I of course got straight A's you know that year but I um, I you know, pivoted after that. I was still always good relationship with the teachers, but I, I started gaining friends through selling candy. So, because they didn't have candy, I um, I just probably did this like my sophomore year. I don't think I did it my freshman year, um, where I would I would go to Costco with my mom or go to Sam's Club with my mom. And I would drop like seven hundred bucks on candy. Dang, I didn't know you spent that much. Yeah, and then that seven hundred <laughs> that seven hundred bucks would turn to about twenty one hundred dollars, um, and I would do that. Um, I'd probably sell that all that candy in like I don't know two weeks or three weeks. Um, I was so at it was such a hobby of mine that like at home, if you walked in my room, it looked like a candy store. I mean, there was pounds. I mean, probably like fifty pounds of candy in my room, and they're always just like organized and stacked into rows. And then every day before school, I would have to. Um, I'd have to, you know, I had my candy bars in the freezer, so they'd be frozen when I when I leave for school. I would take the bus to school, public bus to school. It's about an hour to get to school. Um, and every single minute of my day was selling candy. So on the bus to school, I was selling candy. On a 10-minute break, you know, I could make 30, 40 bucks selling candy. Um, I had printed lists, so every day before school, I would print these lists, and they were color-coded, so the the chocolates would be in black, and then um, the you know the sweet candies would be in color. And um, as I would go through my day and sell out of, of candies, I would cross them off the list. The the list would get passed around in class, and then the candy bars would get passed, and the money would get passed in class. All classes going. Um, each class, I didn't make as much money in classes as I did out of classes, but um, I always had cash, so I would have like a a wad of cash. Um, I think I, I averaged uh, one year at probably about $140 a day I would um, I would make. And my, my sister, uh, Brandy, and I don't think Danielle wasn't working then, but Brandy was. And she had a job. She worked all the time. And I made significantly more money than she did by selling um, candy at school. So my, my identity uh, and my relationship to other students was really through selling candy. So I didn't have like a click. I didn't have friends necessarily that I hung out with because I didn't hang out. I was always on the move from the, the start of break until the end of break. I was walking. I walked like really far in those 10 minutes and everywhere I walked, somebody would yell my name. Um, they called me Jay Candy, uh, the candy man. Um, and so this ties this ties into I guess in a way it ties into my uh, where I went into I guess you could say addiction or mental mental issues. Um, so it's, it is it's not just about selling candy, but um, when I was sick, if I was sick, I would still go to school, or if I wasn't feeling well, I'd still go to school because every day missed was 
you know, a hundred plus dollars missed. So, you know, I didn't want to do that. So, and then on top of that, if I missed a day, that when I would come back, people would always be mad, like, hey, you weren't here, man, I needed my candy, and blah, blah, blah. So, I was always, I was very motivated to go to school, and I was, you know, it was it was such an integral part of my life that it was like this, it, it, I was always focused on it, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. Selling candy was very enjoyable to me, and I, I, I liked the, I liked the role that I had. Um, at some point, I, I got caught selling candy, and yeah, they they made it they made it look like a drug bust, and spread my spread my candy out on the table, and they, they took pictures, and I got I think I got suspended or something something happened, and then so after that I was like okay I'll just sell less candy, which is dumb because now they know that I sell candy, um and that didn't work I got caught again with that all the candy in my backpack, so um. From there, I, I couldn't sell candy anymore. That was it, and uh, it was like my my entire my entire reality changed. I um, what I you know I used to be constantly moving, constantly doing stuff on my lunches. When I was home, I was constantly doing stuff. I was buying candy. I was organizing. I was creating lists. I was stacking my money and you know saving money. And um, I didn't really spend a lot. It's not like I spent a lot of money. I just I guess I just saved it up and bought more candy and just do whatever. Um, and uh, I was making music, so I, I would rap and I would record music on computers at home. So I always had this flow um, of my identity. But after that, school became very mundane for me. Um, the 10-minute break, um, I would just you know sit by myself. The lunch, the whole hour lunch, I would just sit in a desk by myself and go to sleep, or I'd try to go to sleep, and I don't know. I just I had no more, I had no more energy anymore. I didn't, and again, I didn't. It's not like I didn't, I didn't make friends over the years, other than my relationship to them with candy. So it's not like I had anybody I really wanted to hang out with or cared to. Um, so yeah, I just feel like my my zest or motivation for life kind of just kind of crashed at that point and I don't think I necessarily got depressed at that point but I was like uh, aimless in a way and um it was around that time that I'd always so so actually before this while I was selling candy I was always very interested in drugs and pharmacology uh not necessarily interested in doing them but I I was very you know I don't know what the word is not just like smart, but I was very interested in knowledge. So I was always reading stuff and I was always researching stuff and especially uh, pharmacology, which I, you know, read books on pharmacology and I just thought it was fascinating how, how drugs interacted with the brain and how they could control consciousness. And that was always fascinating to me. Um, so in this time where, where I was aimless and couldn't sell candy anymore, I, um, you know, opportunities came up to do drugs and I always was like, okay, uh, if I did a drug, I wouldn't do anything that's illegal because that's bad, and I won't do nothing illegal. So I think I experimented with like salvia. Yeah, salvia was like the first drug I ever did, and that's crazy, a uh, crazy drug. You like completely leave your body, and but to me, salvia wasn't very like interesting necessarily. It was just like crazy weird, and okay, that was great. I don't necessarily want to do that again. Um, but yeah, over time, I started experimenting with more drugs. Um, you had that book, didn't you? Yeah, the book. It was called Just Say No, but it was spelled K-N-O-W. 
So like knowledge, just say no. Um, and is uh, is about this time. Yeah, so experimenting with like legal drugs, I actually started robo tripping. Again, legal drugs. So if nobody knows, um, a long time ago they took out codeine out of cough syrup that was over the counter because codeine is an opiate, it's addicting. So they replaced it with something called uh, we call it DXM, but it's dextromethorphan, uh, which is a cough suppress cough suppressant, low doses like I think like thirty milligrams you take it. But if you take it in higher doses, it's like um, kind of like a, a psychedelic. It's actually chemically related to ketamine or PCP, but uh, much weaker in a sense but uh, yeah so I would do that with a friend of mine um, I think one time it was like we did it every weekend for like seven weekends in a row um, to me um, it was kind of like a mix of like alcohol and maybe ecstasy but different than both I hadn't done those at the time but I know now what those are, what those are like so yeah I did that for a while after a while the, the robo and the um, the salvia or whatever, you know, wasn't really interesting to me anymore. Um, then one summer, so, so the end of junior year, um, and that year was also terrible because I took a bunch of AP classes and the AP classes had like two hours of homework every day for each class. And at, and I had completely given up on trying to accomplish any of that. So um, I ended up dropping out of those classes. So that year was depressing because I got caught selling candy and the AP classes were overwhelming. So all that, you know, crashed and burned. I felt like it was just bad. I just felt like it was a bad year. Then that summer, um, I actually had a friend, uh, you know, move in with me uh, at my parents' house. And um, he was a person that I did robo with, the, ro the robo testing with. And uh, him and I ended up smoking weed. And that was the first time smoking marijuana. And I was 17. Um, so that summer, uh, smoked marijuana. Um, in my opinion, I feel like that's the point that I, I started getting like into the addiction realm because I started using drugs every day at that point. So that summer between, um, junior year and, uh, senior year. And, but at that summer, I also had tested out of high school because I took the CASI, which is a California actually exam. So I'd already tested um out of out of high school but i was going to go back to my senior year anyways because i just wanted to so going back to my senior year i was probably in school for like a month or two for my senior year and i was smoking weed at that time so i'd i'd smoke weed like before i got on the bus to go to school and i had weed in my i think i, I carried weed in my sock <laughs> and um somebody told me i don't know who it was somebody told me that um, it was funny. I was actually gonna sell the weed to this kid when I got there. Well, I say kid, but I mean he's probably my age. It was per, you know, seventeen year old. Um, and they got the tip. So security got the tip that I was gonna sell it, and they were gonna charge me with sales. And um, so they pulled me out of class. They searched everywhere for the weed, and they're like, maybe we're gonna find it or whatever. So I told them, okay, it's, it's in my sock. They're gonna find. It. They're gonna take off my socks. I already could tell they're, what they're gonna do. So. Um, then they went through my phone and the craziest part is that phone at that time uh, was a little flip phone and if you you can organize the text messages by um, uh, re most recent so most phones now if you have a phone now it's always organized by the most recent so at the top is the most recent text 
the bottom is the least recent tag. So I just had in the class somehow I had organized my messages to go by name. So when you go to it, the first message there isn't the last message you send. It's just an alphabetical order of the person's name. So because of that, when they were going through my phone to find the text message, they were just reading a bunch of text messages and they're all old and they didn't talk about drugs or anything. And so they let it go. They're like, yeah, we heard you're gonna sell, but whatever, you got possession. Um, and if they would have saw the most recent one, they would have known that I was going to sell it and I would have been, that would have been felony. Oh, oh. So yeah, that was, that was close, but I didn't learn my lesson there. So I got, yeah, I got, I got kicked out of the school there. So my senior year, and the, the really funny part, I've told you this story. <laughs> oh, so ironic. So got caught with the weed or whatever. Um, I'm sitting in the principal's office waiting for like my dad to pick me up and the the secretary and you can't use your phone in the principal's office it's like against the rules but like they're kicking me out of high school so well I mean it doesn't really matter anyway so I'm using I'm sitting there using my phone in the principal's office and the lady walks up to me it's so mean she had like this scowl on her face like I was the scum of the earth and she says um she's like you're already in enough trouble as it is don't make it worse and she like scowled at me and walked away. Um, and the funny part uh, was, you know, they thought I was going to Desert Winds, which is like the continuous, it's like the school you go to, all the bad kids go to. They got kicked out of Courtsville High, they have to go to the Desert Winds. Oh, this is Courtsville High School in the Antelope Valley. Um, so so uh, the next day uh, after that, I come back in with my dad with my diploma for California the, from the Cassie. Um, which basically means that they just, um, I think they just give me my, my transcripts or whatever. And I'm like done with school. And they, and that same lady was at the window. And when I came up with my dad, she smiles and goes, Hey, how are you guys doing? How can I help you? <laughs> and then, um, they're like, she was like, okay, so, um, are you going to, to desert winds? And I was like, I was like, no, here's my diploma. Can I have my transcripts? And she was like, Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> I was like, Ugh. So anyways, uh, that was bad for me because what happened then is now I'm out of school. Smoking weed, aimless, and I'm out of school. And so from there, I was like, this is great. The universe gave me all this free time so I could just <laughs> smoke more weed. <laughs> and so so I'm out of school. Um, sometime in that in the near future, my mom ended up having me go to a, a tra- not a trade school, a charter school. Um, so I could get my real diploma that was, you know, acceptable in every state. And at the same time, she she had me get my, um, she had me go to college. So I was in, enrolled in college and, you know, I was, I was a, a mama's boy, I guess you'd say. So my mom, she really was like trying to get you know, everything to work out for me. Cause she didn't want me going down this bad path. And, you know, obviously they were worried about my situation because I knew I was using drugs and it had you know become an issue so because it wasn't like was it like pills and stuff by this point or was it still just like legal stuff and weed it was yeah legal stuff and weed but yeah i mean you know they they knew and yeah things were weird Mm. um but it was very quickly pills and stuff so so uh so so 17 you know i smoked weed for the first time by 18 i was a full-blown drug addict um and uh yeah so by this time i think between 17 and 18 i started college but i was also doing like this charter school and finishing that 
And somewhere in that time, this is like between 2009, 2010, uh, somewhere in that time, I you know started using pills, like so Vicodin, Percocet, Xanax, Valium. And the weird part is like, with every single thing I took, I was like extremely educated on everything. So like, I would never ever take a pill unless I had like thoroughly researched it. And I, I already was very knowledgeable about the drug, its effects, its lethal dosage, its interactions, what, what drugs it synergizes with, what liver enzymes it affects, how, how each drug can potentiate the other drug, whether that's through you know, physical means or whether it's the combination of the brain. And I, I was, so I, I was very knowledgeable on this. And so I was always like in my mind, I was doing, it was like a science experiment of testing different drugs how they affected me, um, what the combinations did, and I and I always thought that I was like this, you know, very educated drug user, um, and uh, of course never never would be an addict. It was always uh, it was always I was always very precise, and it was always you know I don't know. I just I I you know always thought it was I was in control. So yeah, I remember in college. Um, this is probably after I got my like a real diploma and I was still in the college. I remember I would go to class and then not remember the entire class because uh, I had taken like Xanax or whatever. Um, so I was barely making it through college. Um, at this point, it was like Xanax that really messed me up because I I, I was an abnormal Xanax user and that I would like binge on it and not remember that I had binged on it. And during the binges, I would black out. Um, so, like in my mind, it was like I took Xanax. Xanax, you know, relieves anxiety, makes you very chill. Nothing can bother you. Everything is chill. And um, I would actually get energized instead of getting sleepy. So when I would take Xanax, I would actually like go out and do stuff. Um, but I, I wouldn't remember. And the decisions I would make would be very erratic. There's like no. Um, no like filter almost kind of like when you're drunk when you're like, you know You're more likely to do, make decisions. You wouldn't but I would do all that in a blackout and um, You know, I, I would have people mad at me and I would have had issues that happened and fights that happened not physical fights But like just fights and weird stuff that I wouldn't remember and it was kind of like I was living in the twilight zone because nothing would make sense um, you know, it would be like a Sunday and I would um you know, not know what happened Saturday and through Friday, um, other than that I, you know, spent all my money and, you know, got fired from my job or whatever. I think I worked at Cold Stone at one point. So it, it, it took off really quick. My addiction went from like zero to 100 really quick. And the reason it was so dangerous was because I was so confident in my ability to combine different drugs. And um, I would mix things that, you know, the average person would think, well, I've never mixed that. That sounds really dangerous. But for me, I was like, oh, you know, doctors do this all the time. It's not a big deal. Um, but because because of the blackout and the lack of, like, cognition, once I would take them, um, you know, it became very dangerous. Um, I'll go into one story. So, I mean, at this point, I was probably, like, 18. And... I don't think I hadn't I don't think I had gone to rehab yet but um, yeah so 18 this point I knew you know many drug dealers one of them had an eye patch oh I, I had a drug dealer <laughs> with an eye patch and I go yeah he he's selling weed and stuff but um 
So I wake up on my brother's bed. Um, nobody else is home except my dad. I don't know. I don't remember going to sleep or how I got there. I just woke up. That's just how you can wake up on Xanax. Just, well, here I am. And I remember I went outside and I called my friend. And um, I told him, I said, man, isn't it really light out for me at 5 in the morning? I feel like it should be dark. And he goes, dude, it's 5 in the evening. I was like, oh. I was like, really? It's evening? He's like, yeah. I was like, oh, that's weird. Um, and then my dad asked me, and because I was still under the influence of the Xanax, I, you know, my judgment was really off. Because I would never make these decisions sober, but I would make them after you know taking the xanax and even though i thought the xanax wore off or i felt like i was normal again i was still like my decisions were bad so my dad had asked me to go get panda express for him which meant that he would give me his, his debit card and i would walk to the panda express and get him food and so when i did that i just decided you know what i'm gonna uh go ahead and get some money out to go buy more xanax <laughs> so i went to the atm right next right next door and um pulled out money and uh brought him back his food and like i think i got food myself i ate the food and then i called my friend steven and i told him i was going to come over to uh to oh i said i was going to come over uh to do some ecstasy <laughs> so i think i bought i bought some ecstasy too um and uh yeah, and I, I bought like a bunch of Xanax, like a hundred, I don't know, like a hundred pills or something crazy. I bought a lot. And I knew that my parents were going to find out I took the money, so that's why I went to Steven's house. <laughs> um, from there, things just went uh, really downhill. This actually happened twice, so I don't know if I'm mixing up the stories, but regardless, I'm going to try to tell it as, as I remember. Um, yeah, I spent the night there. I was on, I was on Xanax. You know, I kept taking Xanax, and when I would take Xanax, I would just keep taking it and just, like, not have any cognition. I think I took ecstasy, and I don't think I even slept that night, which is crazy to think about. Um, eventually, his his dad, um, you know, said that, like, I had to go, so his dad, like, drove me, and he, um, he asked me, like, where to take him, and I just said to drop me off at the store. And at this point, I'm in, like, full blackout, like, probably, like, limping, and like yeah just out of it so um i think i went i went to a store and i stole alcohol at some point i at some point i ended up in the hospital um oh is this from that picture with you in the wheelchair i think i've seen like an old picture that might be this story but there's actually another story that was actually worse than this oh but anyway yeah so this was like i think i i took like like 40 milligrams of Xanax in like 24 hours or something crazy, which is which is just insane. I mean, the dose of Xanax for the average person is is a fourth of a milligram. So I took tw I took like 40 milligrams. Um, to put most people to sleep, I mean, even like one milligram or half a milligram could put most people to sleep. Um, but yeah, this one, at this point, I think I I ended up. Yeah, cause the, the the next black the next crazy blackout I ended up in in jail. So this one I ended up in the hospital and in the psych ward because when I uh, my dad oh okay so now I remember so so I got the alcohol so right 
I, I've been taking a bunch of Xanax, got the alcohol. Um, I walked to like my friend's house. My friend said that I told me later that I was offering him Xanax the whole time. And he said that I had a bag of them and I just kept taking them. Like candy? Yeah. I just every once in a while I'll take another one. Which is just bad. It's just going downhill quick. And I was drinking alcohol, which is like, it's like a death sentence. Like you're just asking to die. It's just really awful. Um, from there, I think I went to my dad's house and I was so out of it. My, my mind was so lost that I told my parents that I was withdrawing from drugs, which at that point I, I didn't, I didn't take Xanax every day. I would binge. So there was no, I wasn't, it was impossible for me to withdraw because I wasn't, I wasn't a daily user of Xanax. So I would just go on binges and then stop and binges and stop. Um, so I told, uh, I couldn't. I couldn't pee because I, I think it has something to do with like the, the dosage I was on and um, just being able to like relax and to, to, to pee. I don't know, but I couldn't and I hadn't like the whole day. Um, so I was worried about that. And then I was telling my parents I needed money and stuff and they were like, <laughs> no. So like left and I like, yelled at my dad. Um, and then I went and like knocked on people's doors and I told them I needed bus money. Like and, in the neighborhood? Yeah. It's, it's so bad. It's so bad. It's embarrassing to even say, but that's really just what Xanax does. Like, if you go that deep, that's what Xanax does. And it, somebody ended up giving me money, and I bought I bought more Benzos. I couldn't get Xanax, so I got Klonopin. Uh, eight milligrams of Klonopin, which is enough to put down a horse. Um, so I got those. When I got them, I just kept them in my pocket because um, I knew I was going to have to go to the hospital because I couldn't. I was like... Uh, in pain because I really needed to pee and I couldn't and I thought I was like having kidney damage or something I don't know and like my memory of this isn't like necessarily first person it's almost like I was watching what was happening um so then I, my dad ended up taking me to the hospital I'm driving we're driving to the hospital and I tell him and I tell him I was thinking in my head I said uh I'm about to go to the hospital and I have drugs on me I you know I have eight Klonopin on me and I was like oh I don't want them to take them so I took all eight and I was already like I was already like in an overdose like I was already overdosed blackout bad situation and I took all eight that's just really really dangerous and I was and I washed it down with alcohol um so I get to the hospital and again so so diluted and once you get that deep you're you're you almost become like a fiend where like you just want more 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 and you're like unsatisfied until you get more so I told them that I was like withdrawing from heroin and withdrawing from drugs so they'd give me more drugs. Now they didn't believe me, obviously. <laughs> uh, I was probably slurring. I was probably like limping. And um, so they actually put me in the hospital. I'm pretty sure they ended up, they might've put me in the ICU. I don't remember because my vitals were so terrible. Um, I basically started dying once I got in the hospital, but I was conscious and I was, I was uh, I was violent. I was cussing at the doctors. I was screaming at the nurses, um, telling them they're all idiots. They don't know what they're talking about. They don't know what they're doing. My heart rate was like 39. My blood pressure was extremely low. They were pumping me with fluids, and they couldn't figure out what was happening. I, um, I somehow survived to the next day. I think at one point they sedated me. They gave me like I don't know if it's antipsychotic. They pumped me with something. And they put me out because I wouldn't stop. I was so agitated. And then um, I think I told, I think I was texting my mom the next morning, and I told her that um, I told her that uh, 
Oh, I said I was in uh, I was in so much pain I wanted to die, which was a lie because I wasn't even in pain. Uh, I just I just said weird stuff, and then so she told the hospital that I said I was suicidal. So then they they put me on the fifty fifty one fifty hold, but they didn't. Um, I don't think they had a fifty one fifty there, or they didn't want to do a fifty one fifty there because I was a Kaiser patient. So they had to hold me there until they can get a an ambulance to take me to Kaiser um, in in Los Angeles, and then. There was this... Am I going too deep into this? Um, no. Here, let me just check. Make sure that I have enough space on here and stuff. I don't know. I mean, okay. I don't know. Alright. <laughs> we can still use it. Um, <laughs> so, so then there was this, this short little nurse. Um, small guy. And at this point, I mean, I'm like 6'6", six, six, so very tall. And there's this, uh, you know, short little nurse. He's standing there with the door. At this point, I think I, like, stood up out of the bed, and I was, like, looking at my bag and stuff. And I was like, so I can't leave? And he was like, no. And I was like, um, I said, oh, I said, I said, you're going to stop me? And he's like, yeah. <laughs> so I was like, I was like, okay. And I picked up my bag, and I just walked. I didn't, like, push him. I didn't do anything. I just started walking. I was just going to keep walking and just get out. And he, so... I think he was scared because I was so tall. Like he thought I was gonna hurt him or something. So he just jumps like on my back and just chokeholds right around my neck and chokeholds me to the ground until I pass out. <laughs> I, I was screaming. I, I, I was screaming bloody murder. And I, remember, I think somebody was saying that the guy the guy went too far because like I wasn't even doing anything. I was just walking and he chokeholds me and puts me out. So I mean that could have been a lawsuit, but it's all good. Um, <laughs> So after that, I didn't try to leave again, and then the ambulance came to pick me up. And it was so ironic. It was it was the son of one of the pastors at my church. Was, uh, yeah, I'm not gonna say his name or anything, but yeah. So son of one of the pastors at my church, and I like knew him, and it was like super awkward. So they like take me to 5150 in LA. Um, so yeah, then I went to the psych ward. The psych ward was good. The food was good. I know you know noise about the psych ward. Um, <laughs> Food was good. I liked it. I did a lot of drawing. Um, they gave me benzos in there for some reason. Probably because I tested positive when I came in. But um, I ended up getting kicked out of the psych ward because I was trying to be other people's doctors. And I would, like, was telling the psychiatrist to, like, change other people's medications because I, like, knew about those oh, medications. <laughs> and so, yeah, they ended up kicking me out of there. Um, and then when I got out of there, I think I went to rehab. I was going to say, how did, like, when was the first time, like, you went to rehab? Yeah, so I think, that, that? I think that was the first time I went to rehab. Was that you turned for Christ? No. Oh, my no, God. You turned for Christ was, like, way... That was 2012. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, this was, like, 2010. Um. So, yeah, I went to rehab. It's all blurry after that. I went to rehab a couple times. And then... I think it was like 2011, the next year. I think I I um I had ordered finazepam, so it's benzodiazepine from the UK. It's not uh, regulated out here. Um, took too much of that, and I I blacked out for a couple days. A lot of my most almost all my stories they start out with a blackout on a benzo, and then ending up in rehab or jail. <clears throat> Only went to jail once, but um. So this time, yeah, the finazepam, um, I thought it didn't work, but really it did work, and I was just in a blackout, and uh, yeah. And when I was in a blackout, I'd always take multiple different other drugs, I'd find drugs, I'd take drugs that I don't remember taking, and it was just 
This is well, all yeah, because your like logic of like, oh, I'm gonna play this safe is like non-existent by that point. Yeah. <laughs> um. So yeah, Fanazepam. I at that point, I basically came out. I came out of a blackout, and I just my parents were telling me that I was going to rehab, so I was like, oh, okay, I'm going to rehab. And then I would end up in rehab and a detox and do the whole de- the rehab thing. Um, came out of that, I went straight to a sober living, and then the sober living. This was this was like late 2011. Um, stayed at the sober living for like a couple months. Stayed relatively. So I think I stayed sober for a few months and then dibbled and dabbled. And then it was like December twenty something, right around Christmas. That we had a we had a Christmas party. And then I I we played a a game where you like win prizes. And I fought for the prize that was a twenty five dollar gas card. And people were like, what? People were like curious of why I wanted the gas card. I remember this because <laughs> I don't have a car, so it was like that's weird. So I got a twenty five dollar gas card. I gave it to the owner of the sober living for twenty dollars cash. So he gave me a twenty dollar bill and he got twenty five dollars gas and he thought it was a great deal. And so did I. And then with that twenty dollars I bought five green Xanax bars. And that was this was the worst one of all. Like this was this is like the death of me. And I uh I remember I t- I'd always tell myself, I would like I'd create like a diary and I'd be like, I'm only going to take one and a half and then I'm going to save the rest and then I'd write it down. And then the, the, the next time I'd look at my notes, it'd be like, took one and a half and then I'd be like, took two more, took two more and then did a bunch of other stuff and then scribble, scrabble, scribble, scrabble. <laughs> then it just doesn't make sense anymore. Um, so this one was the worst. It was like a five day blackout, four day blackout. I don't know how I didn't die. Um, I feel like that's a lot of instances of you saying that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the, the, that was five Xanax bars. I ended up selling a, a laptop. I got like, I think I, I calculated it maybe to like 80 milligrams plus of Xanax in like four days. Um, and on this blackout, I, I remember, it's all blurred. So like I have a memory of going into a, a gas station and stealing a 40 and leaving and then the, the the clerk yelling at me and then I remember walking back to the gas station later on with the, the beer in my hand and there was a cop outside with the clerk and I walked back up with the beer and gave it back to him and then the cop said oh look he gave it back and then I left I don't the problem is with that memory is it doesn't make sense to me I don't think that memory is possible I don't think a cop would say he gave it back but I remember it, though. Why would I remember that if it didn't happen? I don't know. I mean, that's... I feel like there's so many weird things that happen to you, though, where you just... Yeah, I just can't. <laughs> doesn't make sense. So that's a memory I had then. I think I remember getting bottles of Robitussin during the blackouts. And then when I was on blackouts, I, would, I wouldn't be afraid of taking, like, drugs that would normally cause anxiety because you can't get anxiety when you're in a blackout. So I would just take whatever. Um, at one point... Somebody from my church called my mom because I was pushing a shopping cart down Avenue High. I was limping. Is that when you were, like, that on was, the grass? At the no, lawn? no, that was a different time. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even remember when that was. That was probably, like, one of the times you got, like, kicked out of your house. That was, when I, that, was, yeah, that was a different time. But, um, so, so then, like, somebody came and picked me up because they saw me on Avenue High. And, uh, and like, my for- ankle was the size of a grapefruit. Well, and like for like reference to Avenue I, where you're from, is not a very good place. Yeah, not a very good, not a very good area. Um, one night, I remember I slept at this guy's house. He was like a, 
he I think he had got out of, he got out of prison and became like a teacher to help like kids like and to help mentor youth and stuff. So he he owned a thrift store and he was doing stuff for the church. And I ended up sleeping at his house. I remember he like he would like I think he was like walking me like a little kid because like I was just like wandering off and stuff. And like let me he let me sleep there, make sure I was like okay. And uh, I think one night I stayed in a homeless shelter. I I can't even I couldn't even tell you if that was true or not because I don't remember. But I think I might have stayed in a homeless shelter. Um, and then I I took a bus. Um, I took a bus to. What was it? Took, I took a bus to my parents' house early in the morning to, to get all of their recyclables in their backyard. I took all their recyclables, and I carried a bunch of different bags to a bus and took the bus. Was that when you had the VHS tapes, too? No, that was a different time. <laughs> oh, my God. I took the bus to a um, recyclable place to get the money, and this was probably, like, day four. And at this point, Xanax doesn't work anymore. I could, I could take... I I had sold two laptops. I sold a laptop. I got another laptop. And I sold that, and just and like so much Xanax. And I, at that point, I couldn't feel it anymore. And I was like, this was like day four, and in my brain, all I was thinking was like, now what do I need to take in order to, you know, to feel? Because when you're when you're blackout like that, like nothing, you don't do anything rational, and you're just like this zombie. I was just a complete zombie. Um. And this is all before I met you. This isn't even the addiction that you dealt with. I know. That's why I think it's important to go through all this backstory so that we kind of, like, have an idea of, of everything leading up to that. Because, yeah. like, you know, all of this was happening, and I was... I'm not from Palmdale. I didn't even know where Palmdale was before I met you. I was like, where the hell is that? But it was one of the rehabs that you finally got sent very far away. I don't. How did you even end up in Sun City? Like, where did your parents... Was it just, like, the, no. the furthest place... No, I, well, this story that I'm telling leads into that. Oh, okay. Sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> um, so fourth fourth day of the blackout, um, you know, I, I turned in the recyclables, and then I made up with my friend Eddie, who um, he is he was a heroin addict at the time, and he like was homeless or he lived in a hotel. But him and I were friends back in when I was 17, and then you know he went he went down the opiate route, became a heroin addict. I was still on the Xanax at that point, so. Um, because I was, I at I mean, even that even at that time, sober me would have never thought about doing heroin or anything. But on Xanax, me, I would have done anything that they somebody gave me. So I decided to put my my cans and my recyclable money in with him, and then I think he was like out panhandling to get money, and then we were gonna put all the money together to get heroin. <laughs> so we did that, um, and. Yeah, we did that, and then I did I did the heroin. Um, I couldn't even tell you like if it like was like like a crazy positive effect or anything, cause like I purposely did like a very small amount, and it was whatever. But we took after we did that, we went we took the bus back to where he was living, which was like a hotel. He said he was gonna go in to talk to the guy, and he told me to stand outside um, and stay out there and wait. So I did, and when I was standing there, a cop rolled up on me. And, um, you know, uh, put the spotlight on me and asked me what I was doing. They, oh, and I, I had stole, I took all my mom's jewelry. When I went and got the recyclables, I, like, climbed to the window while everybody was sleeping and, like, took all the stuff. Yeah, it was crazy. Um, and so when the cops rolled up on me, they were like, what are you doing? And stuff like that. And I was just like, oh, I just did heroin. Because, <laughs> again, when you're on Xanax, you don't have any judgment. 
And uh, they opened up my bag. They're like, whose jewelry is this? And I was like, it's my mom's. <laughs> They're like, oh, did she give it to you? And I was like, no. <laughs> so, yeah, I got arrested. Thank God I did, though, at that time. Because imagine if I was in that Xanax binge. And I went into the, the hotel with them with heroin. And then I just, well, I'd just be panhandling with them and live with them. And I, I don't know. I don't think it would have been good. I mean, I, I did end up later on becoming a heroin addict, but still, not at this point. <laughs> yeah, you got a few more years before I had we a few get to more, that point. Yeah, I had a few more years. <laughs> so from there, uh, went to, I went to jail for, I would say, like four days. It was the worst time to go to jail because it was, it was like New Year's Eve, and it was a three-day weekend. And when you go to jail, um, you get like, I think like, there's a certain amount of time in order for you to be able to see a judge. And me being like a first-time offender, I would have got out when I saw the judge no matter what. So um, because it was a four-day weekend, I ended up, you know, staying there for like, you know, for four days. And yeah, it was pretty awful because even though I wasn't going to withdraw necessarily because I it was on a binge, coming off of that binge though, like the realization, like you're coming out of a blackout in jail. I'd never been to jail. I was like, you know, 18-year-old kid. Um, you know that that had you know my whole my whole life everything was kind of catered to me and I you know I so being in jail was just such a stark realization of like emptiness and just like regret of my decisions. Um, and it's like I can't you know I can't just like call my mom or figure you know oh somebody can help me. It's like no I'm in jail so I just had to stay in there for those you know four days. Um, and then when I when I got out um. My mom actually spoke to the judge because she wanted me to do like a, a Christian program and the courts, they do something very specific and it has to be like AA and it has to be done by the courts. Um, so they, they normally call it like a diversion program, but he actually is like, I think he like canceled that. Like we're not going to do the diversion. We're going to put your, all of your stuff on hold um, because of, you know, his mother's request. So they did that. So they let me out with my parents and then think it might have been like two days later that I was in U-Turn for Christ. Um, I feel like I can go really into U-Turn for Christ. Maybe we should make that like another episode. <laughs> maybe. Maybe we could have like a, like a yeah, rehab should, specific. Yeah. Well, we can have a start so then they can listen to the next one to like finish the story because can't do two. I don't know. If you want me to keep going, I can keep going, but can't do this forever. We need to like take a break or something. Okay. Yeah. Uh, we could do that. Okay. So we will take a break. Next episode. Yeah, here, let's, let's see. Find, find two weeks. All right, so I know it's not going to format like a break on the podcast, but it was a break for us, so welcome back. Yep, <laughs> we're back, and I'm going to continue um, the adventure of James here. Yep, so this is going to, I guess we'll do leading up to when you, like, met me, and then, like, I, I feel like, well, I've kind of already given, like, my little backstory, because I don't really have a huge one. I mean, it kind of explains why I'm the way I am, but... We'll just have you continue on for now and yeah, go from I'll just there. continue on and see where we go. Um, so, yeah, went to went to jail. Um, this was a twin twin towers in L.A. and then got out. And my my mom made a deal with the judge so that I could go to a. He put basically everything on hold. Um, my charges were with the courts were, I think, under the influence and um, grand theft 
and the grand theft was dropped immediately because my mom wasn't pressing charges on me, which, I mean, she could have, but she didn't want to do that, so I understood. She just knew that it was the, she knew it was the drugs, because I wouldn't, I wouldn't do stuff like that sober. Um, I mean, still to this day, I mean, these, these were all, these were still all acts that I would do under the influence of drugs, so, um, really it was just the, the under the influence, and, um, yeah, so they, this was, this was probably like, um, this was now 2000, the first couple of days of 2012, um, and this was, I probably went to U-Turn for Christ on like the 4th of January or something like that, 2012, U-Turn for Christ was a trip, um, it was a, a ranch, or like a, yeah, like a ranch, you know, on dirt, and there was pigs, and it was extremely, you know, Jesus-focused, and my whole family's Christian. I was Christian at the time. Um, I'm not, I'm not, a, I don't identify as a Christian anymore, but I, I was a Christian at the time, but I was kind of just, like, aimless in, in my Christianity because um, I was using drugs, and it was kind of contradictory. I didn't really feel like it was, like, you know, representing the religion well, so I just kind of felt detached from it in that sense, but, um, yeah, when I got there, like, I recognized it, like, it was very cult-like, they always, um, they always, like, said, like, these specific phrases that were, like, very, like, clicky, it was just, it was weird, it was, like, it was like a cult, and I still to this day think it was a cult, because, I mean, I understand you kind of have to cult people out of addiction, if, especially if you're using religion as the means to, to, you know, get them out of their sinful ways, so, I mean, it makes sense, you had, I mean, we had to, Read, read our Bible every day, and we had to get up at like 5.30 in the morning and pray. It was like so so cold. It was like, be like 20 degrees. I put on like 50 different outfits just to stay warm. Um, but, I mean, I absolutely hated it in the beginning. It was, you know, it was like terrible. You, um, you, you always had to be do something, doing something all day. Uh, even if like you ran out of work to do, you had to be working to like the end of your day like it was a shift. Um, and then, you know, at the end of the day, you had, like, you never had any time to just, like, really sit. Like, you, you always had to do something. I think, like, at the end of the workday, you had, like, a half hour to, like, shower, nap, relax, eat, drink. It was, like, you had to just cram everything in and couldn't really get anything done there. But, um, yeah, in the beginning, I hated it. And I, yeah, I just was calling the place a cult and, um... But, you know, towards, after a while, I started getting to, like, into the sink of the work and stuff. And, oh, that's where they didn't have the hand soap. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, they, there was two weeks there that they didn't have hand soap. And, uh, I got really sick. And it was, it was crazy how it happened. I worked at a warehouse. It was a food bank. They would drive us to a food bank, and we would work a full shift at the food bank for free. And in return, the food bank would give the rehab um, food. So we did that every day. And I, I actually kind of enjoyed it. I mean, you know, when you have people that are aimless and depressed or whatever to give them, like, a purpose and stuff, I mean, it, it kind of worked out. I mean, felt you felt accomplished at the end of the day and you're able to sleep good and everything. So it's it good, good in a sense. Um, but how it worked out. So during that the two weeks with no hand soap, which when they had like 60 guys in like this one little dorm room um i got really sick and that in the day that i started getting sick 
it was because the crew that I worked with at the food bank, they would, like, take stuff, like, that you're not supposed to. And, I mean, I didn't really... I mean, it was whatever. I mean, they would take, like, B vitamins or... Um, they had these supplements or ca- caffeine supplements. Um, it was like a, like Xenadrin or something. It was like, you know, green tea and caffeine and stuff. Um, I had taken the caffeine a few times, but the day that everybody got caught, um, I'd never, like, stolen the stuff. I had just, when the people had brought it back to the camp, I they would give me caffeine and I would take it because it was so hard to get caffeine in there. Um, but the day that they all got caught with it, um, I knew I had a fever at the beginning of that day. And so I didn't take any caffeine that day. Um, I never took the B vitamins, but apparently guys, I had this guy swear that if you took a bunch of B vitamins, you get high. And people to this day, they'd be like, yeah, they cut meth with B vitamins. And I'm like, yeah, they, they might cut meth with B vitamins, but that's because they're cutting it. But you don't get high from B vitamins. I don't care what people say. It's possible that taking B vitamins can make you feel better if you are low in B vitamins, but it's not going to get you like a euphoric high or anything. But this guy would swear by it. Um, and then, so they brought us all back. I'm red in the face because I have a fever at this point. And they take it and they take us back and they're talking to us and saying that we stole, the, you know, the caffeine and B vitamins and you're getting high off of it. And I tried to tell the guy, this guy, the the owner, he was like a, like, not the owner. He was like, he had gone through the program and was running it at that point. He was like a, been in prison his whole life and was like white supremacist, bald guy. And you know, did a bunch of meth and was like in a biker gang and stuff. And he was like, yeah. he's like, yeah, man, you can get twacked out off of that B vitamin. I know, I know, man, I used to make it. And I was like, I, was like, I didn't mind. But anyways, he's like, he's like, yeah, you look high as a kite. And I'm like, no, I'm sick, I have a fever. He's like, oh yeah, sure you are. Uh. So yeah, that was all bad. And then from, from that point on, I get in trouble. They took my job away and acted like I was a criminal because they, they thought I was stealing stuff. So I never stole any stuff and I, my face was weird because I had a fever. So from that day on, I laid in bed for like a couple days. I would sweat completely through my sheets. I would drink like a gallon of water every day. And I would immediately sweat it and pee it out. Like almost instantaneously, just lose all the water. I couldn't keep enough water in my body to cool off. And I was just sweating. I, I And then they're like not going to work or getting up in the morning. is like a big deal. And then they have to have like a meeting on it. And like even if you would tell them like no I'm sick I can't do nothing I'm not I can't I can't they would be like no you need to come out here you need to come out here so then like I'd go out there and I'd walk in the room I'm like I'm sick I have fever I can't I can do it and they would still be like okay well this isn't gonna be good and then, so I I had that um for like a couple days just just awful fever sweating through my sheets and just like in and out of consciousness all day. I remember looking in the mirror, and I remember, like, either my skin or my eyes looking discolored. And I was like, this is, like, the sickest I've ever been. I was actually scared. I was scared I was going to die. Because I feel like, you know, you get disregarded as an addict inside of a place like that. And they're not going to give you medical attention. They're not going to take you to the hospital. And I was like, what if, like, I'm just getting to the point of, like, dehydration or sickness that I'm going to die in here. And, I, like, I have no, I can't, they don't let you use the phone. You can't contact anybody. You can't call out. If you wanted to, like, let's say you're actually having an emergency and you need to leave, you would have to walk. There's no other way. You have to walk miles to find a phone, to find another human because you're on this ranch. So, yeah, it was scary. I thought I was going to die. But, I mean, I ended up coming out of the, the sickness, 
And then, you know, after I, I got out way down the road, I actually found out that I got hepatitis A, which is actually pretty common in California, as I've heard. Uh, apparently, a lot of men have hepatitis A. And that is basically a virus that, that causes uh, inflammation of the liver. Um, it's the least dangerous of all the hepatitis. So hepatitis C is like lifelong disease, or hepatitis A. I'm not, it might, it, I think you might fight it off on your own, but um, yeah, it just comes on as like a, as like a sickness, and it, that's why my skin or my eyes change color, um, because of that, and it comes from not washing your hands, and that's because there was no hand soap in the, in the place for like two weeks. I actually left that comment on their page, I'm sure they deleted it. <laughs> um, so yeah, this leads up to how I met you, because I, I went out to a sober living, um, you turned for Christ over living, um, in what Sun City or I Paris? Think. Paris. Okay. So yeah, I went there. I lived there for a few months, and uh, I was sober at the time. But then I, I started taking like kratom a little bit, and I think I took methadone at one point. Um, and they ended up finding out. Um, one guy told on us, and there. So at that point, I had. I had like three jobs, so I had gotten jobs at the sober living, and I would take a bus to all of them, and I was kind of getting on my feet. I felt really good. I was healthy. I was working out. I was gaining weight, and you know, everything was good, except for obviously I shouldn't have been dabbling in drugs again, um, but yeah, they were going to tell me to go back to the ranch, and they are going to have me dig holes. That's what they did with the Punisher. You dig a hole into the ground like five feet deep or six feet deep to, to show you that you're digging yourself to hell. That was their punishment. So they're gonna have me go back to the ranch, and I'm, I'm thinking about, I'm living at this place. I have multiple jobs. All, all those jobs are my source of income. I told them I was like, look, I was like, I have like two jobs or three, you know, two jobs. Like I work tomorrow. I'm like, I'm not going back to the ranch. So they're telling me to go back to dig a hole, um, and I, you know, I think I just ended up cussing them out. Those the pastors were like gangsters. They didn't care about you. They just wanted your rent money, and uh, they wanted discounts wherever you worked. They wanted to go get discounts there. But they didn't counsel you. They didn't talk to you. They didn't pray with you. They didn't care. They would always walk around with hundred dollar bills, and yeah, <laughs> they were they were like gangsters. And the whole I feel like the whole operation there was like this money making scheme. And they they would um, I feel like they would launder money because it was tax free donations to the church, and mm. then they would launder it through their fake carpet cleaning company. Because if you called the phone of the sober living we were at, it was a carpet cleaning company, but I don't think they actually clean carpets. I never saw any equipment or anything they did to clean carpets. So I think, oh, on top of it, the guy that made U-Turn for Christ, he was the largest drug dealer in Riverside County, and then he changed his life and started doing all this. But he was known for being like the expert of money laundering for the methamphetamine sales. So I think he was doing that through the church, by getting all these donations, cleaning the money that was tax-free and running it through the fake business. I could I could be wrong, but something was suspicious about what they did. And, I mean, obviously I think they did a lot of good stuff with the money, but I don't know. Something just seemed Well, weird. they didn't buy hand soap, clearly. Yeah, they didn't buy hand soap. <laughs> no, they actually – so um, after I left, a guy had a uh, – you know, was like – I don't know if he was kicked out or, or if he said he was going to leave. And he threatened, no, I'm going to call the health department on you guys. This is – he's like, I, I, know, I know the laws. This is crazy. You can't have a situation like this. The guy called the health department. The health department came. <clears throat> they had to change everything. They had three times the allowed people in the in the size of the room they had. So the room that I was in was 60 men. They can only legally have uh, 20. 
Interesting. And I think that that either there was health code or fire code. I don't remember which one it was. I think it might have been fire code. And then the health code, they had refrigerators outside in dirt, and you can't have refrigerators outside in dirt if you're like feeding people. So they had to fix a bunch of stuff. Hopefully they fixed it all. Um, so yeah, from the sober living, <clears throat> that got kicked out of the sober living, and and um, I, I I found a room uh, a room to rent with this guy named uh, Pat, and Pat kind of took me in under his wing and kind of helped me out, um, helped me get my license, and because um, I didn't have a driver's license at this point, I think I was I was twenty at this point. Um, and so he let me rent their uh, room for really cheap. This was in Canyon Lake. Um, and I kept working my jobs. And then um, 2000 and the next year, I was still working most, most of those jobs. I think I still had like two or three jobs at that point. And then um, I decided to uh, quit my jobs because I got a job offer at uh, LA Fitness in Lake Elsinore. And um, <laughs> at the time that I got hired, um, Ashley was working there as uh, the, in the front desk. Yeah. So that's how we met. But we didn't, like, meet right when I started working there. Um, I mean, maybe we did, but, I mean, we didn't start, like... Like, a f- like official, like, greeting, like, hello. Yeah. I'm new here. My name is James. You, you probably tried to start a conversation, and I probably tried to ignore you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then well, when, I, when I started there, uh, I had a girlfriend. So I, I had a girlfriend right before... Right before I started working there, and then I think it was like maybe a month or two into working there, then like you know she broke up with me. Well, yeah, because I remember we went to a party, and the first party that we both went to, you brought yeah. her. Yeah, she then was the with next me. party, I was like, "Oh, where's your girlfriend?" You were like, "Oh, we broke up," and I felt like really bad, but yeah, yeah. So <laughs> that was in October. So yeah, and then I was uh, so I was like this like a hopeless romantic, and I would always every single relationship I would date for like like two months and it was like head over heels and I thought we were gonna get married and then um I would just like get bored and break up with them so that was the first relationship that they broke up with me but I would always break up with them because I don't know what my issue was other than like like I would I, I, I don't, like I would like burn I would burn myself I would like idolize the person and burn myself out and then once they came to like real living and like having to be a real friend through like dull times and high times like I couldn't roll with it and like that I lost the excitement and then okay it's not gonna work anymore and then it just would end um but with me like we we really started hanging out just because like we were just like friends like it was never yeah started with like a romantic goal in mind yeah so so uh I mean I probably you know up to that point had and relationships I gotta go back into the relationship because it has to do with us meeting too oh okay um, but um, relationships were like a really sore point for me of like of like devastating I guess you could say mental illness where I would like crash and burn because I would get into a relationship and then like all of a sudden all my problems would go away and I think like everything's gonna be good and then it would end tragically I, we would end up hating each other despise each other and at the end of it, I'd be, like, super miserably depressed and alone and anxious. And then, like, th- yeah. So, it was, like, I was super I was super unhealthy when it came to, like, getting into relationships. And by the time I had met Ashley, I was, like, burned out and, like, done. And just, like, like I had assumed, I had assumed that, like, it wasn't going to work out for me to, like, find, 
you know, the one person that I wanted to be with, and like, it wasn't gonna work. I mean, I, I feel like uh, Ashley showed me like I was look, I was looking in all the wrong places, and I was looking for the wrong things, and the things that I saw as a sign of what would be a relationship were actually signs of the crash or the signs of the how it was gonna fail. Um. But yeah, so we can go into it how how we met. Yeah. So basically, it was it was just like. I don't know, it was just like friendship, you know, like I remember the first time you had said that you wanted to go look at Christmas lights, because I guess there was like a, either like some kind of Christmas light thing in Canyon Lake, or it was just like in general, just Christmas lights. Yeah. And I remember saying no, because I don't, I didn't know why you wanted to hang out with me, because oh, I, you know. So, yeah, so, so no, you were right though, and you're feeling though, because like, I was like super, like lonely and sad, and I remember I just, like I... I thought I thought you would I thought you might like hang out with me because you seem shy and stuff. So I was like maybe just hang out with me, and I was just like, in a sense, doing it for the wrong reasons. And I feel like you knew that. Well, yeah, and on top of the plot, the on top of the fact that like I had specifically and very clearly alienated most people from my life because of just how I had experienced life up to that point. You know, like in my consciousness and the way that I believe things to be it was like it's bad to become close to people because they will always leave so it's just like a, it was just a natural for me thing to not want to be friends with people to not want to have really close relationships of any kind I mean like I had never had a boyfriend up to that point I didn't want well okay you were 20 yeah and when you're younger than you but yeah I mean like deep down I did want human connection I did want you know a significant other I did want to go through all of those milestones and stuff. But on the outside, it was kind of like a front to kind of, you know, make it seem like I didn't care when in reality I did, which I did carry into our relationship too, you know, like wanting like a, a perfect life and everything. I would say that, you know, that's for other people, not for me. Yeah, so in the, and so the one of the first times we hung out, um, I, I, I had always educated myself with like psychology and understanding people and like, I think it was the first time in your life that you had met somebody that saw right through your BS and I would pick fun at the way that her mannerisms and I remember we were sitting at Lone Star and <laughs> we were sitting at Lone Star and I remember I said um I said like the, the way that you you move your eyes and avoid eye contact I was like I, f I feel like you might have experienced like abandonment as a child and the weird part is I don't even know what I connected in my head or what I had read where I thought that, but I knew it. I didn't think it, I knew it. And that was so weird, because I'm like, how would you know that out of everything? Like, Yeah, and you, you hadn't talked to me at that no. point about your life, and so like, I just knew it, and um, you were like, yeah, that's, you know, that's, that's correct, or whatever. And so, and when I met her, like, I don't know, it's hard to describe, and I don't want to be mean or anything, but like, your mannerisms were weird. Well, they were, because and it was specifically designed through my life experience that you, it was very closed off. My posture was very closed off. I avoided eye contact. I, did, I walked with my head down and, you know, just like my eye gaze to the ground. I wasn't confident. I you know, basically everything, every kind of avoidant personality like, trait I had. Like, like, like it, it, I feel like it almost could have been perceived as like a, like a, like an autism or like a, you know, like even though you weren't. Uh, but it could have been perceived perceived that way because um, yeah, like uh, like when you would respond 
Um, it was like I feel like you when your responds were were like fake. Like when I would show you something, you go, "Oh wow! Like, oh wow! Oh, wow. Oh, cool! Wow. That's interesting." Well, and that's why there's, there's just you know the running joke between us of me being like a robot. You yeah. know, we have like you know our little inside so, jokes about that and stuff. <laughs> so, so I feel like, and then so right before we met, talk about your breakdown and what you had asked. Oh the universe. my god! Okay, so I had always known that I was like weird you know like i i feel okay calling myself that because i feel like it's true you know i i did have all these avoidant personality traits and whatever and uh so but in the year or so leading up to meeting him and stuff i had just reached a point where i was just like okay like this is not normal i had kind of gotten a little bit uh off of my normal i guess life patterns and stuff like I tried to be more extroverted and I tried to meet new people and stuff and it was very forced and awkward and I tried to be something that I wasn't and it finally just got to this culmination of just like I don't even know if I would call it depression because it was very intense in a very short period of time and it just felt very sudden it wasn't like like a crisis like yeah it was just like an emotional crisis and I remember it got to this point where I was at my family's house you know like where I had lived at the time nobody was home and it was just it just felt so lonely and depressing and overwhelming and I was just crying the entire time and it ended with me sitting in my closet it was like a little little walk-in closet and I had the door closed and I was just crying in there and I was just like please god universe whoever it is that's out there just please like please help me I can't do this anymore I'm so I'm lost I'm just completely broken I don't know where I'm going in life I don't know what I'm what I want to do, where my focus is, like, you know, obviously not just with a job, but just complete life focus. I am just completely aimless, without direction. I'm miserable. I don't know how I'm supposed to continue doing this. And literally the day after was when... Was I the, asked you for, like, look at Christmas. Yeah, time. and I was like, what the heck? I don't know. Wasn't it the next day when we went to Starbucks, or was that a little bit later? I but think that was, was a little bit later, but that was, like, within the next week, I think. Yeah, and I'm like what and so then we ended up a little bit later we ended up going to starbucks and everything that you talked about was like the answer to everything that i had that i was questioning like because yeah, because it's weird because at this point like i was like i was like not interested in like a relationship or anything but i was like at the breaking point as her where i was like i'm just like done with everything and so when I met her, I was like, I just wanted an audience to talk about stuff like with awareness and consciousness and getting past fears. And I had a book called Awareness uh, by Anthony DeMello. And that's still like favorite one of my favorite books. And I was like, you know what? We should just talk about this stuff and read this book. That's just what I wanted to and do. And I was like the perfect person because that's all I wanted was just like answers and knowledge and direction. And I was just yeah, and then, completely. And then on top of that, like. It, it, I would always, um, and maybe you didn't like it or did, I don't know, I would always poke fun at everything you did that was representative of that old you that was very closed off and robotic. And I feel like the poking fun, even though it was me, was kind of like, you know, bullying you a little bit. I was like, I feel like I was like slowly trying to knock off the shell of, of all the stuff that you didn't want to be anymore. Because underneath, you were, you know, vibrant, smart, and, you know, social and stuff. But, uh, it was nobody nobody else had was like in a position to just like you know see through it or whatever and that's why like in the years since then and even at our wedding speech my you know my mom has pointed out and my whole family has pointed out that like 
you were the only person who was able to do that. And since meeting you, I had become a completely different person, which yeah. I always thought was really sappy. And then, but and the, and the crazy like part, <laughs> as positive as all this sounds, I mean, this was only the beginning of the of the nightmare that would continue of us, you know, trying to 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 make it through, you know, all of my other adventures. But anyways, we'll go we'll go into before because before we became a couple. Well, um, yeah, because there was a point. So this was like the end of. 2013, maybe the beginning of yeah, 2014. Yeah, the beginning of... And we didn't become a couple until 2015, so there's yeah. this whole year of... <laughs> yeah, so, okay, so right after she met me, we became friends, and we we hung out every day almost. Um, and contrary to popular belief, I did not Snapchat only you constantly. <laughs> whatever. Uh, yeah, I used to make a joke that she Snapchatted me all the time. I sent those to everyone. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so ended... So, at this time, um, we were when we were becoming friends. I was actually doing pretty well. Um, I was, I think, I was using kratom, but I wasn't using drugs. I think I did, I did smoke weed, but I was starting to get better at my job, um, and I started making sales. And then I got promoted at right at the end of 2013, um, and so the beginning of 2014, I was moved to a manager and making really good money selling really well very motivated and um i think at that time you would come visit me occasionally yeah because you you were moved to temecula and so i was going to college in san marcos at that time so you were right on like off the freeway coming home because if, if i just went straight home like the gym in like elsinore was a little farther than that so you were now at like a prime spot to just stop by <laughs> and your house was too yeah where you were living too was like on the way so um yeah, so th- I mean, things were pretty good this whole time. I still, I still thought uh, you were very like off-putting and stuff, and I was still like kind of like like enjoying enjoying the friendship. At this point, there was I wasn't like thinking you were gonna be a relationship or anything. Um, not for I, I mean, was. Yeah. You were. <laughs> so, um, so yeah. Then it was it was not too long. I was like it was February, so not not too long after that that I I had told you. So yeah, I was after I got promoted, I was still doing really well. A little bit into that, I started taking Percocet, which is oxycodone, similar to oxycontin, and that was really like getting me through my work day, and I was very motivated. Problem is, I was working 14 hours a day, six days a week. I had one day off, and that one day I just wanted to sleep, but it was my only day to like do like laundry and shop for food, and I was just. It was a very unhealthy situation for me. It was like the prime environment for disaster. Relapse. I would like, um, I would like uh, be crying in like the fetal position, um, and then get my work clothes on and go to a meeting where they'd tell me how great I was doing and how much I'm, I'm going to conquer the world and stuff. And I'm just like, oh, uh, so I was like, this is all going to crash and burn. Um, so yeah, the the stress started getting really bad there. And then I think I confided in you that you know, uh, you know I have a, a past of being an addict, and that I was taking pills, and that I was gonna probably leave my work and go to rehab. Well, and plus too, you had shared with me that you were like depressed too, and you had mentioned that like whenever you would say that to other people before, like they would usually get like scared off. By yeah, that. so I think I told her like I understand, I understand if you not don't want to don't want to talk to me anymore or whatever, but you know like this is where I'm at, and so she like 
educates herself on addiction and like looks up that was the first well yeah that was the first time i went to a naranon meeting i had no idea what it was but i had just read somewhere that that's what you're supposed to do but it was only i think it was like on the east coast or something so it was only online and it was like through like texting and i really didn't understand naranon at that point i was like okay it's like the classic story of why people go to naranon it's like oh i'm gonna go to this meeting and they're gonna tell me how to fix him and so I was like, I don't really know how to share and this and that. Like, I just want to, like, you know, you help him. You back then? Yeah, it was only, like, one time, I think. Because I'm like, okay, this is, like, weird. Like, it's not really helping him. Like, and it, like I said, it felt really impersonal because it was just texting. It was like a like a big chat log. And it was, it was very weird. strange. Yeah, it was weird. But, yeah, so I got, you know, I, I in a sense, kind of, like, latched on more because I, I felt like you were, like, a safe person and I was, like, really close to you. So I was, you know, going grocery shopping for you yeah, and so like, like cooking co- you meal, food. Now, and- I would be like, I would be like, so, so what happened was like, when I, I quit my job. Actually, I went on a leave of absence and I actually got disability pay during the leave of absence, which was really helpful. Um, I went on the leave of absence and then I, I, in the past when I would go to rehab, I would just, they already knew like my doctors and stuff knew they would just let me go to rehab, but this was in a new county and with my insurance, I had to like go to their their outpatient first. They wouldn't just send you to rehab. So I went, I had like two months where I was, I was not working and I was still using drugs. And I was like telling myself, okay, I'm not, I'm gonna stop now. And then I, you know, when I can go to these classes and everything will be fine. But I would wake up and I'd be like so depressed and so unmotivated. So then I would just end up using drugs. And I, when I, I'd get really sick and then you would like, come like make me food or bring me food and i would or so i would always like, bring you like a del taco or taco bell you went through that phase when they had like the little well this was after because i went to rehab again oh yeah so, yeah but this was i'm like yeah so so um she kind of went to like you know like a, like a caretaking role and i remember being so grateful because i was thinking like if i didn't have her at that time like i just it had been really, I feel like, dangerous for me because I was just like, I was already a very mentally unwell person, but um, to have her like there, I almost felt like she was like sent, like sent to me to help me because I couldn't help myself at that time. And it's, it's not like, she, I don't think she was like, um, what's the word? You help people in a bad way. Codependent? Enabling. Enabling. I don't think she was necessarily <laughs> enabling me because I don't really. I mean, I don't think I exactly told you, you know, if I was still taking stuff or what I was still taking or whatever, but you just knew I was not good. And, um, you know, you would help or whatever. So after going to the outpatient classes for a while and, like, I had to get really upset and tell them, like, look, I want to go to rehab. I want to go. Um, they finally let me go go to rehab. So I went to the uh, rehab and then you sent me a letter every single day. <laughs> I did. Because, she sent me a letter every day. And the thing is... As that, friends. Yeah, well, I I don't really know. I guess because, like, okay, so you went to rehab. You were trying to be supportive. They, yeah, but then as time went on and you kind of got, like, a little bit, like, better and stuff, I feel like I was like, oh, okay. You know, I was really excited for you to come back because in my mind, I was like, okay, I did it. I got you healthy and you're going to come back. Oh, and it's, <laughs> it's going to be great. And you're going to, like... Like, we're going to get closer, and then we're going to pee together, and then, you know, like, I just... But it's really funny, because, like, even though I had all these really, like, idyllic fantasies of, like, us being together, I remember that one time when I was just, like, thinking, like, I don't know, I was, like, doing my hair when I had just gotten out of the shower or something, and I was like, I just had this gut feeling that, like, 
we were supposed to be together, even if it wasn't like romantic together, but we were just supposed to be in each other's lives because we were just supposed to like do something or it was just like, it needed it was, to happen. Yes. And so. It was meant to be. Yeah. But like, you know, as time went on, I'm like, okay, maybe, maybe not. But, <laughs> but I yeah. So. So, right, go on. <laughs> so yeah. Went, went to rehab. I was probably there for like, I don't know, 45 days or 30 days. I don't remember. I think it was like she would She would come visit me and I remember uh, talking to Pete Pleppel in there about how like we were friends, but you know, she sent me a letter every day and they were like, no, you're like, you're going to lead her on. And I was like, no. No, she's just a friend. She's, eh. Yeah, I would get up at like five in the morning and drive two hours to see you to make sure I got there on time for Saturday meetings. I'd be like yeah. calling, like, like, did he put me on the visitator or the visitation list? Like, yeah, you, and you'd be. <laughs> what do you need? You'd be sitting. You'd be, you'd be sitting in the in the lobby, looking like a robot, like staring at the floor. And I'd come in and like, hi. You're like, hey, hello. And like, <laughs> <laughs> um, so so there was all that. Then I, I I got out. And it did not go back to normal how it was, and yeah. I was very upset. I'm like, how dare you have your own life? Like, yeah, yeah. I was very, I was very so, caught off guard. Yeah. So I, <laughs> I got out, and I was just, you know, thinking, I'm, I'm a free man now. And you would always go and visit your brother, which always, yeah, I'd visit my brother, <laughs> and I think I, I talked to other girls. Yes, and it, like it was not like, I mean, we're, we were, we were friends, but yeah, I understand. Anyways. Um, <laughs> So it's different now that we're married, but I'm just saying this is how it was. No, I, was, I know. I understand. It's fine. I'm not gonna. Fight, I'm not gonna fight with you over a podcast. I'll okay. wait till later. Yeah, no, I'm just kidding. Um, so yeah, so did, you know, got out. It was kind of just like, I mean, I don't think I said we were gonna go on separate raids or anything, but I just like you know, just doing my own thing, and I wasn't texting as much and stuff. But like, I never got angry because I kind of had just accepted it. Like, I was sad about it, but I'm like, but I still cared enough to be like, you know what? Okay do what you need to do it's fine and i kind of just like waited for you yeah like i kind of held hope that you would just eventually come but, back yeah i don't remember at what point we started hanging out every day but it wasn't too long after that that we just like we started hanging out every day again. and then that was like the thing where i would just come home from work and like immediately go and hang out because that was when i had my other job where i would work but 12 to 8 and was come it back. What, was it when i started using drugs again because i don't know, I don't I, know if we were hanging out every day and then I relapsed or I think I had relapsed and then I contacted you and was like oh my gosh doing drugs again maybe I don't really know I mean my memory is so foggy yeah cause, me too. Cause, so, like, I, I you... just know it, was, it wasn't long after I got out that I was like my energy was down I was feeling depressed again I was like it's all not gonna work out there's no hope and then I, I started uh, doing opium tea again because maybe we, or maybe like because you would always go out to back to Palmdale every weekend. So, like, maybe after a while you just started, like, taking stuff out there for fun? Or, no? I don't know. I, I, I really have no idea. I don't really remember. No, when I, when I relapsed, I started taking poppy seed tea again. And it, I mean, it wasn't really involved with going out there. Um, I don't know. But anyways, at some point after I got out of rehab that time, I started using poppy seed tea again. And then somewhere in that time or after that time her and I got really close and you know we would hang out every day she would um she would always bring me food and me being you know like not mentally well unsure of myself and stuff like I was like yeah come over and bring food that sounds great and like little did I know that you know this was gonna you know be end up with us falling in love 
in my in my mind, I was thinking, uh, you know, we still were just friends, and that's all, you know, that's all it's gonna be, and I, you know, I don't know. So you can at, you can speak honestly. It's okay. So <laughs> at at some at at some point, um, you know, it's like we're hanging out every single day, you know, that we become just like part of each other's lives. Like just like normal. Like there's just became normal. And then I think at multiple times that year and like I wasn't doing good. I mean I was I was using so uh I guess morphine you could say because I was having it's poppy seed tea. I'd make tea with poppy seeds and get the morphine out and drink it. And I was addicted to that and I had to have it every day. And um but at the end of every day, you know, I'd come back or I'd come get back to my house and, you know, you would come over and we would watch a movie and we just did that every day. And like, um, our lives were inseparable. When I would go out to Lancaster or Palmdale, you would go with me a lot, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then we even took pictures. <laughs> family pictures oh yes i was in your christmas picture for your um, family well yeah because in the first time when we were like um in each other's lives when you went to rehab i remember that like you would communicate with your family like oh yeah ashley is actually that I remember danielle always says that she's like yeah i would hear about this girl named ashley i'm like who is that but apparently you know she's helping my brother so that was the first time i was introduced to your family's lives <laughs> yeah and then um like towards the end of 2014 we you'd have multiple like times where we, I, we, I would talk about you know us you know it's not like we couldn't be in a relationship and I didn't think I didn't think we could and I, and and then, I couldn't see you as more than a friend and then plus too I think when things were getting really bad I remember it was around Christmas time because I had gone with my family to go get the family Christmas tree and you were just saying that like you know I'm not doing really good I think I need to move back up to Palmdale and I was like oh no yeah. I don't want you to move to Palmdale I wasn't yeah. here anymore <laughs> and then like um, at one point I got like I was really suicidal and I didn't want to live anymore and yeah. then like because I mean we were we were so close and I like I, I loved you as, as a friend and like I couldn't see myself being in a relationship with you. Like I also was like suicidal because like I just felt like I was gonna like break your heart and like I couldn't live with myself, so I'd like rather die than like have to break your heart because you know, you're my my best friend and I just felt like like I like I, like I, I wasn't able to, like even if I wanted to, I wasn't gonna be able to like love you like in a relationship way. And um and then in January was your brother's birthday party. Yeah. So, well, yeah. So, yeah, January, um, we went to my brother's birthday party, and we took Molly. <laughs> so, MDMA, used for couples counseling because it makes you very honest Well, and no, and this is the thing, too, is that, like, you know, I don't know if straight edge is the right word, but, I, you know, up to this point, I... Up until I met him, I had no idea, you know, yeah, anything about, about drugs. drugs or drug addicts except besides what you see on TV. Ooh, <laughs> actually, so so a big part of the relationship is that we would actually do mushrooms. So again, Ashley's not not an addict, and she I'm a normie. Never, I like, cannot physically never been a, a drug user. No. but <laughs> we would do mushrooms, and if you don't know mushrooms, they're very beneficial psychologically. Um, but psilocybin, psilocybin mushrooms. It's a very I don't know. It's a whole story you have to get into, but. When I would use mushrooms, it would always get me to like, like a restart, and I would, you know, re relook at my life, and you know, try to make better decisions from there. But when we were on the mushrooms, I always saw you 
as you know, like like definitely could be in a relationship and it was gonna work out. But and was, and during those times too, I would become more normal. Yeah. So when <laughs> when she would take mushrooms with me, she would actually lose a lot of the roboticness and she would lose the mannerisms that in my mind made her like unattractive because it was it wasn't her. It was those. It was like that reserved mannerisms that came from her past that that like threw me off. But when we were on the, the mushrooms, like she, her alter ego would come out, which is like her real self. And so during those times, I would get a glimpse and I would be sure that we could be in a relationship and everything was going to work out. But then, you know, the next day would come around and everything would go back to normal. And then I'd be like, you know, maybe I, I was like, maybe I was just being delusional because it was drugs. Knowing now that I was actually seeing like the real you and I was, you know, I, I was seeing something real. But in my mind, I was thinking, oh, you know, I was, I was just high. <laughs> and I was just, just dumb, but that happened multiple times because you know over the year, um, you know that's something that we did, and it was very in the end. It was just the summer of like 2014. Yeah, it was like the summer, that of, mushrooms. summer of mushrooms. <laughs> but in the end, I mean, I still think it was a very positive. Uh, it was a very positive thing that well, we yeah, did. Because I think it actually was what molded us to become so close. Well, yeah, and, like, I, you know, it's not like we spent a summer doing, like, meth or something. You know, yeah. I really think that psychedelics are really, positive. they're really positive. Like, I, before that, I was like, oh, like, you know, I would never take that. Like, oh, that's bad. But, you know, going through that experience, I realized that those are actually, you know, like, they're really beneficial, you know? And, hey, like, we don't use them now, but we no. did at the time, and they were No, it's been a long they time were helpful. since that. Yeah. Um, so, so there's, there's that aspect where... There was a glimpse. There was a, there was this peek into what was possible. But when you would go back to normal, and she would go back to normal, then it, it, I would lose it again. And there was always this part of me that like wanted you to be able to to, to act in that way that would get me to bridge the gap, so I'm like we can be in a relationship. But that wasn't generally. I wasn't able to perceive it. And I think you weren't able to to act that way because you were closed off in a sense because you knew that I only wanted to be friends. Yeah, and it would make me really sad because I would have moments of clarity during those times where we would take mushrooms where I was like, okay, on one hand, I really wish I could be like this, but it would also make me sad because I'm like, I really wish we could be like, because you would act more as if we were together yeah, during I, those yeah. times. And I would be like sad because I would really like it in the moment. Like, oh, you know, we're acting like a couple. But then, you know, I'd be sad because I'm like, well, this is never going to happen. This is not like... It's not real. No, it's not real. Like, I would trick myself. Like, okay, maybe you really don't feel like that. Or maybe, you know, it's just because the, the mushrooms or whatever. But, you know, looking back now, it's like, okay, well, that's what takes the ego away. Yeah, the, <laughs> the, the mushrooms, they kind of dropped. They dropped all of the, the barriers that were, you know... The barriers that block you in your everyday life, those drop away generally during a mushroom experience. Or any psychedelic. Yeah, yeah, most psychedelic. So, but it was, yeah, mostly mushrooms. <laughs> um, so, that's going up into, into the end of 2014. And then in January of 2015, we went to my brother's birthday party. And he had Molly. And um, this was like a pivotal time because... Um, I had to like like uh, put words directly to the fact, and I had to put it in her face that it's never gonna work out, and we're not gonna be together. But I mean, I didn't say it like that, but I was just said like like I said I think I said there's there's you, I love you, you're my best friend, and you're here, and then there's my idea of a relationship, a romantic relationship or a girlfriend is over here, and they're not the same thing, and they don't match up. And, and even though I love you, 
you know, it, it's not going to be. I can't mend these two things in my mind. They couldn't come together. And it was at that time, I think it was the Molly that helped you, but it was obviously your real feelings. It, like, helped me to be able to translate it and actually tell you truthfully how yeah. I felt. Yeah. And I was yeah. like, I don't care. Either way, I'm always going to love you, and I just want what's best for you. Yeah. She said, no matter what happens, no matter who you're with, I will always be here for you, and I love you, and you're my best friend, and that's that's final. And, I mean, it wasn't, like, instant, but... That like it like destroyed my brain when people do like the boom in their head like that was the boom in my head we're like you're like wait what yeah wait what <laughs> so like, did you expect me to be like mad or like at least have some kind of like normal response I guess no like, I expected you to have the response that I would in your situation because I always told you you're much stronger than me because if I was in your shoes I would have left I would have hated you I would have like said you're a bad person because like you know how could we have this thing that's so real and you don't love me or whatever or you don't want to be with me or you don't like me or whatever so i i i was always i was just so shattered and discombobulated because i was like i had never experienced that before where it was like beyond all everything like oh no i just love you unconditionally and that's it that's that um so like it blew my mind and i got the gears turning um from that moment on and then it was i would say like a week later that that i uh, a lot of this has to do with drugs and mushrooms and stuff but hey it's part of our story yeah and, and it's I very like, valid and it's real well and plus too i don't really i used to just say like okay drugs are drugs weed marijuana or that's the same thing sorry but like mushrooms or psychedelics or, you know i guess like acid is something i was more familiar with in terms of like pop culture and hearing about it but it's all the same thing but now i realize that it's not necessarily like all the same thing you know like yeah so i now it's being used as medicine and hopefully it will continue to be used as medicine but so yeah it was like a week later i w went with uh, some friends and we did mushrooms i wasn't there it was just yeah she you. wasn't there so it was just me but um, when i was on the mushroom trip i had found out that my dad had done something that had really uh, hurt my mom and made my mom feel unloved. I mean, again, I'm not I'm not gonna be going to talk about it in detail because the past the past the past. But anyways, he had done something that hurt my mom, and I knew it made my mom feel unloved or uncared about. And being on the mushrooms and being very deep and connected with my emotions and honest, it it was like this mirror reflection where I could see that what my dad was doing to my mom was what I was doing to um to Ashley and when I when I could when I saw it that way I was able to like I was able to see that all my mom needed from my dad was love and she deserved it and he wasn't you know and he had you know was not giving it and then I realized that I was being you know I was doing what my dad was doing and like so you know the whole thing with with us before I'm um, at my brother's party going to this that like completely just like shattered my ego and then like my idea of like my what my romantic interest was merged with what Ashley was and I realized like that I realized that what she had was genuine love which is what I was always looking for and what I always wanted and um that I was basically, it was sitting right in front of me 
and I was saying I didn't want it because of my old definitions of, you know, love and romance. And so it was that night that it that it clicked, and it never left me from there. I never second-guessed it ever again, and I knew from that day on that I wanted to marry her, and I wanted to be engaged, so... We never actually dated, really. I just I thought we did, but I guess in your mind, you no, never, we never. Well, we pretend dated because we thought it'd be weird to get engaged after not even dating. <laughs> so, so it wasn't. So it wasn't. Maybe like it was like a couple days later. So me and her was still like hanging out and stuff, and I didn't even tell her that I was one hundred percent sure. You thought I was like I had found somebody, didn't you? You or that was a, that was a whole different oh, okay. story. I don't necessarily want to get into that, oh, okay. but. <laughs> But anyways, you didn't believe me um, when I told her that I wanted to be with her and I wanted to spend the rest of my yeah, life with her. Yeah, I thought you were like, I thought you were like joking or something. Yeah. I'm like, there's no way you would be that mean. <laughs> yeah. So, and I think I, I waited like three days to, to tell you because I wanted to make sure I was like, it wasn't going to go away because it always would go like, you know, in the past when I would feel that way it would go away. But that like the whole reflection thing, I was, I was on that mushroom trip, I was crying and just like. The whole mirror things, my dad and the, me, and then like I just knew, like deep down in my soul, and like everything merged, and the, I'm on mushrooms. So I'm like seeing like my soul merge and the universe connecting. <laughs> and I knew, and I was like, okay, we're gonna be together, and like that's it. And from there on, that was it. I I knew, and like I just feel like it was partially the the MDMA, the Molly, partially the mushrooms, but. They, it's not like they did some. They did something that wasn't already there. They just helped kind of bring it to the surface, probably more accelerated. For all I know, I would have held my insecurities, and you would have held your insecurities for years down the line, preventing us from being able to be together because you know they didn't get accelerated by what they needed to be accelerated by. Well, yeah, too, because like you know, like it's like with that. Or, like, times that, you know, later on when we were together, like, times where you were, like, high or under the influence of something and more able to be, like, emotionally connected or, like, more, like, affectionate, I would always think it was, like, fake. Because in my mind, I'm like, okay, you take a drug, no matter what drug it is, whatever, you take something that alters your mind and it's everything that you do is automatically fake. And it's always going to be fake. And if you make any decisions on that, it's based on something, whatever. And I would always doubt that you know like i carried that for years where i'm like okay like one of these days it's just gonna wear off yeah or you're I don't, just I don't, you're like, I don't think she ever really at any point officially believed me that i wanted to be with her it's still to this day even like know. leading up to her getting married i'm I, like are you sure you want to do this like yeah. you can't back out now <laughs> yeah so so there there's that so at that point things kind of took off in an even more accelerated manner where like i knew we wanted to be together and i was going through like this crisis of finding myself and i quit my jobs and then we were you like gonna, yeah we were gonna we were gonna we were gonna start a we we're gonna start a non-profit non-profit <laughs> and and I was, I was gonna be a spiritual teacher and then so, my parents were like okay i don't yeah. know to, i don't know if this guy's a good thing like we're, we're kind of scared now it's em- it's, <laughs> em- it's embarrassing looking back on it but like the all the all the alternative to me doing that was like suicide or something because i was like i either had to go down this path of like really you know just getting past my suffering and depression and all that and go full force into it um or you know i was gonna go you know be like the depressed person so i we chased after that and we got engaged and left our jobs well because i felt like too like once we had gotten over this huge 
milestone for us and stuff. It was we were kind of like on a high, so to speak, I guess, because we were yeah. talking, like we had come through all these realizations. And then and I, like, wow. I had stopped. I, I had stopped using the the morphine uh, at that time and was was doing really good. And I stopped taking pills and. Yeah, so we weren't. I wasn't using like any drugs anymore. I think I did smoke weed still. Yeah. Occasionally, but anyways, I wasn't. I wasn't using stuff like. I was, I was sober headed, I guess majority of the time. I think they call that California sober. California, I was California sober, but yeah. So I was like super motivated and created a YouTube and was teaching about getting past suffering and spirit. I got it really into detail all the spiritual stuff, which well, and may you, or may you, not be true, but hey, I was, whatever, I was motivated. Well, but the thing is, is that you helped a lot of people, and yeah. a lot of people still, you know, are friends with you now because of that, you know? Like yeah, they're... so I, I got deep into the spiritual community, and I thought, you know, we were going to do, I thought that's where our life was going to go, and then it didn't turn out the way um, we had a little visitor come and join us. <laughs> So, so we moved into my, so this is a crazy story. We moved into my brother's house and me, me, I'm on this spiritual high leading the way. Everything's going to be great. We had like no money. Yeah. We had no money, no. but Hey, we're like, you know what? The universe will provide. Yeah. We're, like, we're like super, I mean, I wasn't okay. I don't like, we weren't like in a cult or anything. We didn't have like any sort of set of religious beliefs or anything, but we no, were we very didn't. positive, super like, like spiritual, like the universe is going to give us everything we need, but I mean, in hindsight, I think we were, I was very naive going into it, but whatever. I was, that's, that's how I had to figure it out. But when I moved to my brother's house, little did I know, my brother was like heavily addicted to like bath salts and meth and his house was a trap house. And we had moved in there not knowing this because I don't think we knew this. No, because whenever we would visit, it was just like chill. Yeah, like, oh, yeah. You know, you just yeah. had these roommates we, we were kind of close with. I and... knew he used drugs, but I, I mean, it was like whatever. I mean, I'm not gonna. Well, go and there. plus, like, he had a good job, and so we thought yeah. he was doing like fine. You know, so like we get there, we realize it's like a it's like a full trap house. They're like not gonna pay rent. He's gonna get fired from his job. There's like druggies there all the time. Fights happening. It was like it was it getting was weird. Crazy. And then. Not too far into living there when we have no money. We're like counting change to buy drinks, but we're like thinking everything's going to work out. Then we find out that you're pregnant. Oh, yeah. And that was <laughs> that was such a, a stark realization. Because it was I, not, I was embarrassed. Yeah, because, you know, things were not good we on not, the outside. Yeah. You so know, like, you're pregnant. We have no money. We have no job. We're not married which yeah. i mean but you know like just yeah like, just outside perspectives you so, know we're and then we had just moved completely that was the first time i ever moved out of my house it was just very sporadic and sudden i was like ah, on I'm top gonna of move. it you get pregnant like, i ah. know like what they yeah <laughs> it did not look very good at yeah all. so i feel like this goes into a whole another chapter should we should we stop it here I mean, yeah, I, I really didn't think that it was going to be... I thought we were going to, like, struggle to find stuff to talk about, no, but... No, I was going to say, we can, it's because we have to go through a lot of different stuff to get to, like, the present day, so I think we should make, like, a different chapter. Okay, yeah, that is true. All right, so we will wrap this up. Okay, so we are going to officially wrap up with uh, finding out about the little Yeah, the, the pregnancy and stuff. Yes, all right, so we will go ahead and wrap that up for now. And uh, so... Yeah, are we going to make that like a new episode then? Uh, cause yeah, because I, yeah, I feel like this one is uh, pretty long so far. So. Yeah. 
All right, so we will make this the fish, the fish first official episode of us uh, talking together, and yeah, keep an eye out for part two. Indeed.